Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Hello, hello. And yes, prayers would be appreciated. Uh, My son Atticus, four years old, I guess he has a sore throat. So he woke up at 12.45 last night, I guess that counts. Came in and started kicking and thrashing and kicking and thrashing and stuff like that. So that's always a fun night for you parents that can identify. So, But here we are. It is Christmas. Well, almost Christmas. We got five days left, people. If you haven't gone shopping yet, oh my goodness. We were at uh, the Montclair Mall yesterday. Don't go to the Montclair Mall yesterday, my friends. It was not, it was not a pretty sight. Uh, but um, it did make me think about... Uh, Christmas Eve, obviously, again, coming up in less, no, exactly five days. It's six days until Christmas Day. But last Christmas, for those of you, well, there was only a few of us that were here. Oh, my goodness, my friends. And hopefully you've heard this story, is that you, if you remember, there was rain, there was wind. We were all ready to do an outdoor service, so we had everything set up. Brian had set up all these big, like, stage lights. They started blowing over and stuff. Finally, about, what was it, maybe 30 minutes before, Kyle comes in. He's like, this is not going to work. Like, well, what do we do? So we bring everything inside. And I remember, um, I think it was, uh, 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 who was it? Rich White was coming and bringing in trees. Let's put some trees back here and make it look good and stuff like that. It was, (sighs) it was quite a Christmas. So hopefully this Christmas Eve will be, be, even if it does rain, we'll be much better prepared for that, I guess. But. It did make me reflect, though, as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I would say that was my craziest Christmas ever. It was pretty crazy, and that was actually, if you recall, that was our sermon series at the time, the craziest Christmas ever. But I, we kind of expected it to be crazy. I think. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We were doing outdoor services. It was just. It was meant to be crazy. But for me. I remember I was mm, maybe 24, and my girlfriend at the time's parents lived in Las Vegas. So we decided to do, first we did Christmas morning, just the two of us, Christmas tree present. It was very nice, very nice. Then mid-morning, we drove down to Orange County to go to my mom's house, Christmas part two. And this is the Christmas I grew up with, you know, the tree, the presents, the stockings, the whole shebang. Late morning, we then drive to Long Beach to go to my grandparents' house, Christmas 3, with the, the extended family. So we do that whole thing. Then late afternoon, we drive to Las Vegas to do Christmas number 4 with her parents, Christmas night. And my goodness, I remember driving home, and uh, I looked in our trunk, and our trunk was completely full of presents. And I remember telling this to our middle schoolers and they're like, that's the greatest Christmas ever. (laughs) But honestly, I remember looking in the trunk and just kind of, I remember the thought of, you know, I was doing okay yesterday. You know, I, I, I don't really need all of this stuff. And so here I was, like, I had, in some frame, what people would call the greatest Christmas ever, right? I had all the family I could stand. I had all the food, all the presents, all the, like, it was the biggest deal of all. And yet, at the end of the day, it just felt empty. Or it felt like like there was something missing. Or at the very least, like, 
this is not the way that it's supposed to be. There's something, there's something not quite right here. And so as we've been talking about this series, we've been talking about the coming of the king and Jesus as the king, we've kind of been reflecting on what kind of a king Jesus was or and is. Talking about, uh, Don started off talking about like he's an unusual king. He's unlike kings that we are familiar with. Kyle talked about the way of the king. And then we talked about the words of the king. And so this week, I wanted us to talk about the kingdom of the king. Because I think that's the fourth part of this puzzle. Not only is he a unique king, but his kingdom is unlike anything else. So I want us to start in probably a pretty familiar passage. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1. And um, when this angel shows up to Mary. So I'm going to start in verse 26. <clears throat> in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. All right, so we get this picture. I mean, one, it always interests me that Mary gets this story, gets this, this proclamation, this, this prophecy, this is what's going to happen to you. She's understandably like, well, hang on a second. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not married. I'm not, I'm a virgin. Like, how is any of this going to happen? But then it also creates this, well, but your son is going to be great and he's going to be this king and et cetera, et cetera. And then what's she thinking when she pulls into this like manger in Bethlehem? I have no idea. But what I wanted to focus on is, is that last verse. Can, can you put that right back up again? Where it says, he will reign over his descendants and his kingdom will never end. He doesn't say, the angel doesn't say that his legacy will never end or the monarchy he establishes will never end, but his kingdom will never end. So for me, I start off the very beginning, we get this picture that his kingdom is something a little bit different. A couple of weeks ago, Don talked about the, um, the end of Jesus' life when he's standing in front of Pontius Pilate and, and Pilate says, what kingdom is this of yours? My kingdom is not of this earth. So we get this very different picture already. So what is this kingdom all about? One of the things that I think is really interesting is, Jesus, one, Jesus talked about the kingdom more than anything else. All of his teachings, he talked about the kingdom more than he talked about prayer. He talked about it more than giving. He talked about it more than sin and more than money. He talked about the kingdom a lot. And he would, a lot of times he would use this phrase, the kingdom of God is near. Or the kingdom of God is at hand. Or even the kingdom of God is within your midst. And what I thought was really interesting, I've always found fascinating about that phrase is that we can use that phrase, the kingdom is near, in um, a temporal, like a time sense, right? We can talk about nearness as in lunchtime is near, or Christmas is near, or, you know, whatever. 
But the interest, and I don't know a whole lot about Greek, but what I do know is that the word that Jesus uses is not a time word, it's a space word. So he uses near like this microphone is near to me. It's, with, it's physically within my reach. So he uses the kingdom of God is physically within your reach is what he is saying. So what the heck do we do with that? That seems even crazier. That It's not that the kingdom will come at a certain time, but the kingdom is here within your reach. Now what? Well, for me, the one that I always start with, because it all, it, it, <laughs> it doesn't help, it blows my mind even more, is I, I start with the Lord's Prayer. I think a lot of us are familiar, right? Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So if we stop and think about just that, Jesus told us a whole lot about the kingdom in just those two verses. I mean, one, he said that there is something that is true about heaven that is not true about earth. Your kingdom come, your, or excuse me, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. That on, in heaven, God's kingdom has come. And his will is done in heaven, but it is not done on earth. It has not come in on earth as it has in heaven. And then the second thing, which again, my limited understanding of Greek, is that apparently the way Jesus says your kingdom come and your will be done interlinks them. So we're to understand that those two phrases are the same thing. God's kingdom will come when his will is done. God's will is done when his kingdom, that's the same thing. So what, what we understand now about the kingdom is that it's here. It's within our reach. It's physically within our, in our grasp. And it has something to do with God's will being done. In fact, it is God's will being done. When God's will is done is when his kingdom comes. So as I was wrestling with that, okay, God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is his will, God's will being done. What does that mean? Are we just back to, okay, so we're just supposed to do what Jesus says. We're just supposed to do those things. I mean, yes, but why is that so different? What makes that so radical that that's worth talking about, not only one month out of the year, but all weeks out of the year? Why would Jesus talk about this again and again and again if it's just, hey guys, just do what I say? What's, what's so different about that? And I think... The answer is the cheesiest answer of all, and the most obvious answer of all, the answer is love. Is that really what Jesus is saying, God's will equals love, loving. When it, I mean, John, right, said God is love. If we ever have a doubt or a question about how do we do God's will, what does that look like? It looks like love, okay, but again, this is what I really struggled with this week. So what? Not, not, not so what, but who disagrees with that, right? Who's out there? What Christian or atheist or you know, Muslim or Jew or, or anybody out there is going to say, no, you know what? Love's bad. I don't like that. Like, I like the opposite of love. Like, no. I, I mean, yes, you might say love, like, is overrated or love is whatever, but who's out there that really says love is bad? Nobody, right? So then, again, what's, what's so unique about this? What, why is this worth talking about and so radically different? 
Well, what I was wrestling with this week is I feel like there's two big reasons that this is so radically different. The first one is I think love is all well and good as a concept, but an action is a lot harder. And two is I think if we're honest, we don't really understand love all that well if we think about it. So first one, choosing love. What does it actually look like to to choose to love? Because if I'm honest, there's a lot of times when I know what the most loving thing is and I choose to not do that thing. Why? I mean, I've got lots of reasons. Honestly, a lot of it is selfishness, but I mean, there's like, I've already got plans and I don't want to interrupt my plans by doing this. There's, you know, it will make me uncomfortable to do this or, or I would have to give something up in order to do this. Or worst case scenario, sometimes I just don't want to. I mean, like I have definitely heard the, the, the Jesus's quote in saying, uh, you know, when you saw me, thirsty, you gave me no water. When you saw me hungry, <laughs> you gave me no food. And when you saw me naked, you gave me no clothes. Whoever, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. I've totally heard that for years. And yet, do I think that when I see a homeless man on the freeway on-ramp? Do I think that? The scary part is yes. Sometimes I do think that. And yet, I'm going somewhere. And yet, uh, I don't know anything about this person. And yet, uh, should I really stop? What if I stop traffic? What if all of these things happen? All of these reasons not to love. And then I think about like the times when I've been on my way to church on a Sunday morning. And I mean, you know, I've been here now for what, four years, something like that. And I've come, you know, every Sunday morning driving downtown, there have been plenty of times that I have seen someone stopped on the side of the road. Flat tire, you know, whatever their issue is. I've never stopped once. I'm, I, I got to be here at 7.30, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm late. I don't have time to stop and be loving. But the thing that I was thinking about this week is... You know what, I, 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 might, I might still do that the next time I see that. In fact, the next 10 times I see someone on the side of the road, I might still not stop. But what if, what if that 11th time I do? Could I? Because then the second thing that makes love so tough is those times when we honestly don't know what the heck loving looks like. And there's, there's a lot of those. And those, those are some of the things that fascinates me about Jesus. Is those times when I literally find myself blank. I got no clue. One of the biggest ones these days has been, um, how the heck do we love our enemies? Is that honestly, like, how do I love conservatives and liberals? How do I love MAGA people and CRT people? How do I love vaxxers and anti-vaxxers? I don't know. 
I honestly am at a loss. There are so many times when there's just the whatever it is in me, whether it's self-righteousness, whether it's indignation, whether it's just they are in the wrong, and I know that, kind of doesn't matter. My answer is still supposed to be love, but I have no clue how to do that. And for me, I hope that that's, that that's, the, that's the key right there, is that I know Jeff Campbell Smith does not have this in his repertoire, does not have this in my Rolodex of information that I have accumulated in my brain. I don't know this, but God does. Because I know God loves them, and I know God wants me to love them. So that, again, kind of draws me back to Jesus. So how do we do this? I mean, again, those are maybe some... some bits and pieces, I guess, some clues to this puzzle of how we live in this kingdom. But what does that look like? Like, what does the kingdom coming look like? And maybe even more so, what difference does that make? Like, who cares? If we love a little bit more, is that going to really change the world we see around us? And for me, kind of all I can point to is my own story, is... For me, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up going to church. Um, and that was, I was fine with that, honestly. You know, honestly, all of my life I have wrestled with those exact same questions. What's the purpose of life? What the heck are we doing here? Is this all there is? Is there nothing more? That's been, that's been on my mind for years. But you know, 20, 25, whatever, however many years you've been around, you get used to it. There's no answer. Most people out there don't have an answer to that. So you just live your life. You know, you get a job, you get, you get a, you know, a girlfriend, you, you, you rent a house, you know, whatever. And I'm just doing that. I was just living my life. And then one day, my, one of my friends invited me to church. And um, to be honest, I went I kind of more as a favor for her. I had no interest in church. In fact, she was taking me to one of those, like, warehouse churches with 900 people crammed into this, like, you know, industrial-looking warehouse, literally next to John Wayne Airport in this industrial area. And, and I'm like, all right, I mean, if you say so. And we show up late, and so we have to sit in the back of a 900-seat thing, and... Um, and, you know, they're doing these songs, none of which I've ever heard, but everybody else seems to know them except for me, so I don't feel great about that. And then the speaker gets up, and he's doing this sermon about what Jesus has to say about dating, which I'm kind of like, one, not really interested in dating, and two, not really interested in Jesus. So I was kind of not paying much attention to that. But I do remember one thing did stick out is that he was talking about um, ancient Hebrew. And he happened to mention that in ancient Hebrew, the word name actually means etching. It means who you are, not just what you're called. And I remember kind of finally, I'm like, hey, I know some ancient Hebrew now. I can brag about that at a party sometime or something like that. So I kind of filed that away. And um, sermon ends, and then like the worship team gets back up to do their, their closing um, set. And the first song they do is this song called He Knows My Name. And... I remember reading the lyrics for the first time as they appeared on the screen. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. 
He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. And somewhere during that song, I have a feeling my eyes must have just gotten wider and wider and wider. He knows my name. He knows who I am. That's what you guys are doing here? And it was... The only way I can describe that... You guys know the song, Amazing Grace? I once was blind, but now I see. It felt like that. It felt like realizing that my entire life, I'd been looking at life like this. I had all of my experiences. I had all of the physical knowledge that's available, but I had completely missed out on everything else that was going on. There was so much more than that. And for me, that's why I think the part of the Christmas story that always blows me away is the part with the shepherds and the angel. I mean, we, we, we know this part, right? Where Shepherds are out in the field. This angel shows up. They freak out. He goes like, can't settle down. Don't worry. And then um, there's this part in verse, um, uh, oh, I'm on the wrong page. Um, well, we can read it off the screen. The part in verse 13, right? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace on those to those on whom his favor rests. So it's like, I love that, that, can you go one back, Ken? A great company of the heavenly host. It's probably not a great translation because who knows what the heck that means. As my understanding is, more angelic beings than anyone could ever count fill the sky. And they are singing at the top of their lungs Glory to God in the highest. And it's not like there's some heavenly choir director that's going, and go. No, this is just this, this heavenly explosion over what God just did. Do you not see, world, that Christ has been born? The kingdom has come into your midst. And heaven, the place where King God's kingdom has come, where his will is done, is exploding with joy, spilling over into our reality. And when that kingdom comes, it brings all those stuff, all that stuff we light those candles for. That kingdom brings joy, and it brings hope, and it brings peace, and it brings love. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. God's kingdom is literally spilling out into our reality. Father, thank you. <sighs> thank you for this morning. Thank you for this breath that we are taking. Thank you for this time. <sighs> and thank you for, for coming. Thank you for what you have done in and through Jesus. And thank you for the awesome opportunity we have to be a part of that. Um, I pray for each one of us that the kingdom that is, that is there, that is within our grasp, that we can reach out 
and touch it, I pray that we do. I pray that today or tomorrow or the next day or 10 years from now, we get a taste of your kingdom coming in us and through us and around us. Help us see that, feel that, taste it. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.